0: We got a mic to work. All righty. Good morning. Hey, so glad you're here with us. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City Church. Man, this is, uh, we thought we were tired of this mess, didn't we? Until it hit us again <laughs> in, the, in the knees and knocked us to our, 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 our faces and to a, dropped us to a place where we had to seek the Lord. This has been a tough Tough two years, and in the last just little bit, it seemed like it's ramped up another notch or two. My family has been sick with COVID, Um, started about a month ago, and finally we are out of the clear, and uh, praise the Lord for his kindness to to bring us back to health. I've got several friends uh, that are struggling right now. One dear friend still fighting for his life in Tulsa on a ventilator. His name is Brian Green. Just ask that you pray for him, continue to lift him up. Another good friend, uh, Tim Akers, is struggling for his life due to some other issues in his life as well. But uh, pray for these guys, if you will. And I know you all know people who have either lost their lives or are struggling through COVID or whatever else the case may be. You know, the one thing I keep thinking is if the winds of COVID and uh, politics and war and all the things that have devastated and rocked our worlds in the last little bit, uh, if you think about those things and if you still have some sibilance, of a faith in Jesus and you're still standing through some of these things, it really does reveal who you are in him. It reveals who he is to you because a lot of times in these moments, we, uh, we don't know what to do and we turn to the idols that we have closest to our hearts and so I pray that that would not be true of us, that we would be turning to Jesus with everything we have in this time, Hey, listen, we're glad you're here with us. If you're new to us, thanks for being with us. We're glad you're here. Hope that you'll feel part of our family and come back and see us and hang out with us again. Uh, this is a loving, loving family, and uh, we are weathering this storm together by the grace of God. Last week, we talked about uh, the prayer of mission, the fact that um, when mission is taking place in the early church, uh, the church is surrounding that mission by prayer. We saw a lot of different examples and today, even now, we pray that God would be with this mission that has, that has been given to me and been given to you. If you know Jesus, you've been given the mission to take Jesus to the ends of the earth. But that doesn't just happen out of uh, knowledge or a good message or good rhetoric or good conversations or your ability to persuade somebody to believe something. The Bible says in John 6, 44 that only the Father draws someone to himself and so we pray. To the God of mission, Lord, would you draw people to yourself so that they would know you, that they would see the, the beauty of what it means to know you, right? That, that's what we talked a little bit about last week. Uh, let me ask you this question this morning and see what you, what you say. What, what would you say was the mission of Jesus when he came to the earth? What, what was his main objective? Father's will, yes. I'll tell you what I, I would say that I think without thinking too much about it, I would say, well, he came to die, right? Even his name means to save his people from their sins. And at a deeper level, yes, he said, Lord, your will, not mine. So I I would say that's maybe the main thing that he came for, but did you know it's not the only reason he came? I was at a conference a couple months ago, and we were talking about this verse of Scripture we're gonna look at in just a second. And it was so interesting to me because we were talking about the fact that Jesus had other assignments besides dying on a cross. And, and I looked at it and I thought, well, that's, that's absolutely true. You start looking at all the things that Jesus did. In fact, let's look at that text together. If you'd look with me in your Bibles, John 17, verse 4 is going to start. So we're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. But I want us to kind of let this be the point of conversation that we begin. John 17, Let me, give you a little context on this. Jesus is with his disciples uh, right before this, at the end of uh, chapter 16, Jesus says this, which I would even relay to you as well. He said, uh, In this world, you're going to have trouble. But don't worry because I've overcome the world. Isn't that good to, to be reminded of? In this world, we will face unbelievable troubles. But Jesus has overcome the world. And right after that, we go, he goes into chapter 17, his essence. He's continuing to speak with the disciples. And so he, he begins this prayer, this beautiful, beautiful prayer. And he gets into this prayer and we gets down to verse four. And Jesus says in his prayer, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now this was before obviously Jesus gives his life on a cross, right? So the question that we have to ask is what is that work? What are the things that he accomplished? This is before he dies on the cross, and and, and yes, I would say that was probably the greatest work he would do on earth, but Jesus said he's accomplished the work that, that God had given him. This is what I want us to look at today, because I believe when we pray to the God of mission, just like we talked about last week, and we see that he's the God of mission because he sent his one and only son to die on a cross for us, right? So whoever would believe in him wouldn't have to perish but have everlasting life. Jesus had a mission, and it was more than just dying on a cross. And so as his people, how do we join with him in this mission? And what are those things that he did, all right? Would you pray with me as we get into this message and look at those assignments that the Father gave him? Father, we love you. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of breath in our lungs. All the days of our lives, God, you have been so, so good. And so we we don't take it for granted, God, that we have health to be here. God, thank you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to be with our church people, continue to heal those struggling with COVID and other issues. And God, I pray that you would continue to move in us as a church, to make us a church that is uh, empowered by your spirit, accompanied by Jesus himself on this mission. And God, that you would you would place in our hearts a desire to see people come to know you, Lord, as their savior. Father, forgive us where we failed you. and I pray that today you would lead us into all truth by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would increase today, that you would give me strength to get through this message today physically and that I would decrease, though, God, and that this day would be about you and what you want us to be and who you want us to be. We prayed in the precious name of Jesus. We say amen, amen. Last week as we talked about uh, the God of mission, I thought this is a great quote from the guy that I was in the conference with. His name is Dr. Dave DeVries. He has a book called Missional Transformation. He says this, God is a missionary God And he has sent the church to participate in his mission of reconciling the world to himself. That mission is the purpose of the church on this earth. And the message is the good news of the kingdom. Missional activity encompasses the redemptive mission of Jesus. Just as Jesus was sent to seek and save what was lost, the church is sent to seek and save that. Which is lost. Jesus had this mission. And as he came to fulfill it, he did different things. Today, I want us to take a look at those different things. I'm, I had a, probably a list of 10 or 12, but I want to look at just a few today and see if it's possible for us to put ourselves in that same position, right? To learn from him and to follow him. Has anybody ever played the game when you were a kid, follow the leader? You remember that game? And, and so the leader might go, I remember playing on the playground and you'd have to go over the monkey bars, you have to go over the monkey bars. You have to climb up a tree, you have to climb up a tree. Everything he did, you had to follow and do. That's basically what we're saying today of Jesus as uh, the one being sent by God on mission. What does it look like for us to follow the leader in mission? Well, I think there's several different things. The first one I want us to look at is the fact that Jesus came to serve and sacrifice. Look in the Bible with me at Mark chapter 10. Verse 45, Jesus came to serve and sacrifice. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We've probably heard this verse before. The context of this verse is important. It's one that uh, comes from when Jesus is talking to the Sons of Thunder, James and John, about leadership. You know, first of all, to have nicknames the Sons of Thunder, that right there, I mean, come on. There's some confidence in those guys, maybe a little too much, right? They come up to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, hey, when we get to the kingdom, can we, can you, will you do something for us? He's like, what do you, you can't do the things I do. And they, yeah, we know, we know, but will you do a thing, will you do something for us? He says, what is it? When we get into the kingdom, can I sit on your left and my brother sit on the right of your throne? And it's just so sad because Jesus basically looks at him and goes, man, you do not get it. (laughs) See, they were seeking position. They were seeking title. They were seeking importance. And in their mind, leadership looked like that. Title, importance, position, being above, right? Jesus said, no, if you're gonna follow me, if you're gonna be my disciple, leadership looks the exact opposite. If you're gonna be a, a leader who follows me, then you have to be a servant of all. And if you wanna call yourself great, you've gotta be the greatest servant, you gotta even be a slave. And a slave has no rights. A slave is willing to do whatever is needed to be done. Jesus says that's leadership when you follow me. We don't look for things that, that make us important. We don't look for position, we don't look for title, we don't look for being over people, to rule over people as these people have done. No, instead, we're going to serve people. We're going to love every person. And so I love this verse uh, from Mark. Even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, having come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So Jesus turns this definition on its head. Jesus served people in every possible way, didn't he? When I think about how Jesus served people, He served people physically, he served people spiritually, in every possible way. He healed people. I love the the stories of Jesus in towns where one person would come to him to be healed and then all of a sudden people, the word would get out and he heals everybody. And then the disciples have those same kind of stories of the miracles that God allowed them to do. But Jesus, he healed people, he cared for people's physical needs, he fed people a story of him feeding 4,000, which really was probably more like 12 to 18,000 because the 4,000 were only men. They only counted men. Right? There's another story of him feeding 5,000. That's only the men. This could have been up to 20,000 people with women and children. They're outside of the city. They're outside of a place where they could readily get something to eat and Jesus says, well, what do you have? Let's feed them. He loved people enough to serve them and their physical needs. He washed the disciples' feet, right? This is a physical need that they had, and and I love it because it's also uh, a story, it's a lesson about leadership. If the creator of the universe is willing to get on his hands and knees and wash the feet of those he created, what does it look like for you and your leadership, mom, dad? Right, What, what does it look like for you are we willing to serve people the way Jesus served people? He served people's spiritual needs, didn't he? he? He cast demons out of people, and that's meeting both physical and spiritual needs. I think about these stories of Jesus and these different stories that he comes up to. I thought of three right off the bat. My family's been watching The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's, it's such a good show. It's such a good representation, and it gives you a real insight of what It could look like, right, for these uh, disciples to follow Jesus. And one of the stories they tell is the woman at the well. And what's so beautiful is, you know, the woman at the well was a Samaritan woman. Jesus is a Jew. They never came together. There was a great hatred, a great bias, a great prejudice. And so Jews wouldn't go through their land. And yet here's Jesus going through Samaria for this appointment with this woman. So she's got a few things against her. Number one, she's a Samaritan, and yet Jesus makes his way to her. Number two, she's a woman. Jewish men and and, and Samaritan women didn't speak very much, and yet Jesus says, hey, would you draw me some water? And number three, she was a sinner. She was an adulterer. She she was potentially a prostitute. And again, what would a rabbi be doing speaking to a, a Samaritan woman who is a sinner like this? I'll tell you what, he was meeting her on purpose because he loved her. He wanted to speak directly to her because he wanted her to know that she was seen. The story says that she comes to the well in the the heat of the afternoon because she couldn't be there with the other women. She was an outcast. And so Jesus comes, and, and one of the things that I think is so important about this story is Jesus sees her. He sees her right where she is, who she is, what she's done, mistakes she's made. He sees her right where she is, and he speaks to her. He treats her uh, with respect and love, and he wants to bless her life spiritually. And so he tells her the things that she's done, and he says, but you know what? If you would ask me for a drink, I would give you living water. You'd never have to search again. You would never thirst again. So Jesus meets the spiritual needs of people. I think about the woman with the issue of blood. She had had 12 years of an issue of bleeding. And and you can imagine just the the stigma that would go with that, the embarrassment, the separation. She she wouldn't be able to go to the temple to worship. She she wouldn't want to be in crowds. She would want to be ostracized for 12 years, and yet she sees this man who, who she hears is Messiah. And so she makes her way into the crowd. She makes her way through the the tightest passage possible with his people all around him just to get her hand in, just to touch his garment. And if she can just touch his garment, she believes that he'll heal her. And as soon as she touches his garment, Jesus realizes, even though there's tens of people around, all these people around him, he says, somebody touch me. The disciple says, well, there's a lot of people that are touching you. He goes, no, no, power left me. And the woman shriekishly says, it was me. I, I believe if I could touch the hem of your garment, you would heal me. And he says, your faith has made you heal. So Jesus healed this woman. He, he loved people, he loved to meet physical needs, he loved to meet spiritual needs. I think about Zacchaeus, remember the song from Sunday school, if you had a Sunday school song about little Zacchaeus? Here's this guy, he's a tax collector, he's looked at as a uh, thief and a criminal con man and yet he too has heard about Messiah and the crowds begin to rush towards Jesus and he, he can't see he's small stature the Bible says and he can't see what's going on so he goes and climbs in, in a tree what kind of tree Sunday school, thank you Sunday school he gets up in the sycamore tree right and he's, he's up there looking waiting for Jesus and Jesus makes a beeline to that tree and he stops, and you see Jesus standing there and going, hey, Zacchaeus. <laughs> you know, he came right to Zacchaeus. He said, I see you. Not only do I see you, I'm going to your house, and, and I'm going to stay with you. Zacchaeus, when, when they get to the house, Jesus begins to hear uh, the story of Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus's heart. Zacchaeus basically says, I'm going to give half of everything I own to those who are in need. And I'm going to give four times, if if I've done anything wrong to anyone financially, I'm going to give them four times what I've taken from them. Basically, this is what's happening. Zacchaeus is showing proof of his salvation. See, when Jesus saves our hearts and changes us, our lives look different. Period. Period. If Jesus changes our hearts, we cannot stay the same. That's the very nature of repentance. We turn the opposite direction, we go another direction. Zacchaeus said, I can't be the same anymore. I'm giving half of everything away to the people in need and I'm going to serve. I'm gonna give four times to those that I've taken it from. Jesus says, man, salvation has come to this house today. There's no doubt that salvation has come to your house. Jesus loved to meet people's physical and spiritual needs. I love the story um, all the times of of the times that Jesus has saved people, but I love the story of the man being let down the roof. Remember that story? And he's a crippled man, but his friends can't get into this crowded house and they let him down through the roof. And Jesus, in his message, stops the message because there's a guy coming down in front of him Right, But what he says to the man is not necessarily what the man expected him to say. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That wasn't why they l- lowered him into the house, right? But Jesus loves to give people healing for spiritual needs and physical needs. So after he says, your sins are forgiven, which is more important, then he says, now take up your mat and walk and he healed his physical needs. Jesus served people, spiritually and physically. But he also sacrificed himself. Of course, this verse tells us how he sacrifices himself. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Jesus lays down his life as a ransom for many. Listen, that's his job alone. We can't do anything like that but we can sacrifice. We can make sacrifices. And I'm beginning to wonder if we as Western Christians know what I'm talking about. Is this thing on? Do we know what sacrifice is anymore? Can I, can I just give you a, a, a few examples of what sacrifice could, could look like? It could mean if you're a leader, and you all are, it could mean that you look at leadership differently just like the disciples had to and realize that leadership is serving people, not lording that leadership over them. It could be sacrifice of that understanding of position. It could be sacrifice of your time. You know, what is is the sacrifice of being of a commitment to be involved in a church? Now some churches would say to you, hey, be here on Sunday morning. And you know what, I think it's important that you're here on Sunday mornings, but that's not all of being a part of the church. To be a part of the church, and we're gonna talk more about this in the coming weeks a lot, so if you can, be here to hear that, but what being a part of the church means is walking life together with other people, them challenging you to look more like Jesus, them challenging you to keep the commitment that you've made to him, to love him, to know him, to make him known, doing that together, not being isolated, where we're not only tempted, but we're pulled away by the enemy. That's how the enemy attacks, right? You see those shows on National Geographic, they get the sick lamb, (laughs) the one that's wandered away, that one's toast, right? But if, if the animals stay in that group, then they can survive. Friends, that's the church. If we can stay in this group, if we can care for one another, love one another, encourage one another, walk life with one another in a very honest, confessional, real way, God will grow our hearts and he will make us the church he wants us to be. But it takes sacrifice. How much sacrifice am I talking about? Well, not that much. A few hours a week is all I'm talking about to be a part of of a church. Literally, literally. If there's an hour and a half here, it's an hour and a half at your city group, you might serve an hour or two at the food pantry. You might spend an hour or two meeting with somebody to do discipleship in the week. How many hours is that? Not very many. Most of us will spend more time on our Facebook page today, just today, than we could spend in a week being committed to the church. Friends, we need to be committed. Not so that we can go, look how many people we had on the service. Check that off. No. We meet. We gather. We walk together because that's what Christ has told us to do. We don't want to make it a habit, it says in Hebrews 10, of not going, of it not being important to us. No, make the habit being we need each other. We love each other. We're called to each other. Sacrifice might look like commitment to your church. Sacrifice might look like your money. Some of you go, "Okay, here we go." Here we go. Here's the preacher talking about. Do I talk about this very much? I don't I don't go here. I don't I don't talk about that that much. In fact, I probably need to more. But can I just tell you your heart is where your treasure is. And the Bible says to give. I'm thankful for Pastor Darrell uh, many of you who are partners or not, you might have received a letter this week about our new budget that we're going into here, started in July. And just a challenge from Pastor Darrell about what it means to be a part of our family. And, and some of you give, and some of you have stopped giving. We're just encouraging you, hey, could you step up? Because part of being a part of the family is helping. If this is good fruit, test it, please. Test it. Look at our elders. Look at our budget. Spend time with our pastors. If you think this is good fruit, would you invest in it? Not because we're saying invest in, we're saying because God says, give to the ministry. We're we're seeking to make disciples here and help people love one another and be the church God's called us to be, and we can't do that apart from us doing this together. So think about that. It's a sacrifice, but it's one that God always, in fact, it's the only time the Lord says, test me in this. Test me and see if I don't overwhelm your life. You give me this little bit and see if I don't give you this much back. Caring for you, loving you, protecting you. Sometimes our money is a sacrifice and every time we give, it's part of our flesh to go, it's, it's it's hard sometimes. But our treasure's where our heart is. And so we wanna be obedient to the Lord. See, here's, here's the deal, I think our problem in the church is that it's the, it's that we wanna say we're a part of the church but we're not willing to make sacrifice. We wanna say we're a Christian yet we're not willing to make changes that look like we're Christians. The word Christian means little Christ. Is that you? Is that me? He's a little version of Jesus. She's a little version of Jesus. I love this quote, I've used it before and I'll use it again. (laughs) Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, World War II martyr. Died in a concentration camp. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Uh, That is what so much of the church has become. We just want to be connected to something, but we don't want to pay the price. Friends, Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice, and we can do those things as well. I love uh, the way Paul talks about sacrificing and serving people, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. He says, for though I am free of all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews, to those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law Is Paul willing to sacrifice? He says, I'll do whatever it takes to win somebody to Christ. And we have so much to learn from his passion to see people come to know Jesus. The second thing I want to show you that Jesus did that we can follow the leader in is that he came to seek and to save. He came came to serve. He came to sacrifice. He also came to seek and to save. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save The lost. The context of this verse is the story of uh, uh, Zacchaeus. He says, surely salvation has come to this home today. I mean, you're saying things and you're willing to do things that show that God has changed your heart. And you're not just saying, God has changed my heart. No, now your life is beginning to look like God has changed your heart. And then he gives us this point of purpose, Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost, in other words Zacchaeus, I came to you, I found you in that tree, I found you looking for me, like I said Zacchaeus was what Pharisees and others in that time period would have called a con man or a a thief, a sinner, and people begin to question, why would you go to a sinner's house? Well, it did not make sense. But the reality is, is, Jesus loved sinners. And I'm thankful that Jesus loves sinners because I'm one of the greatest ones. I love this story told in Matthew that gives a little insight into Jesus' love for sinful people, Matthew 9, verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at, at the table in the house, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came, to call the, uh, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this image. Jesus at a party, kicked back, he said. He's kicked back with sinners. He's enjoying spending time with people. Do you know why? Not because Jesus likes to be around sin. No, I think God doesn't want to be around sin. But he loves to be around people who know they're sinners. People who know they can't stand on their own righteousness and they say, Lord, I need you. They could be the greatest of all sinners and Jesus would love to be with them because they understand grace. Grace. That's not who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees thought that they provided their own righteousness. Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Paul says in Romans three, there are, there are none who are righteous, no, not one. We have no righteousness. And you know, I think it's been interesting, all these years I've, I've heard this story and, and, and heard Jesus sort of differentiate. No, I, I, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. And there's sort of almost an implication that, he, that there's this sense of saying, don't worry about you. You're the Pharisees, you're the righteous. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying the, the Pharisees are righteous. He's not saying the Pharisees are the healthy ones and I'm here with the sick. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says specifically, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God, Right? So he's not saying, I didn't come for you. He's saying, I came for all of you sinners, including you. That's what Jesus is saying. But the Pharisees don't hear it because they don't believe it. They think they can stand in their own righteousness. I've kept the rules, though they didn't. I've followed the path, though they hadn't. They needed as much grace as the sinners at the party. Jesus is saying, you could come on into this party because you're as big a sinner as they are and yet they didn't see it. What's interesting here is Jesus's willingness to go where sinners are at. Jesus will go where sinners are. Here in this this story, in this party, he goes to be with them. And like Jesus, we need to learn this morning, we have to go. We might not otherwise go. We have to be willing to go into places we might not otherwise be willing to go. Other parts of town, other establishments that we might not normally would be in. We have to just be willing to not judge people the way the Pharisees did, but instead come alongside them and say, oh man, I'm just like you. (laughs) But can I tell you the difference in me and you? I understand the benefits of salvation. See, sinners, all of us, People who don't know Jesus, they're looking for satisfaction, they're looking for something that will fill this emptiness in their life, in their soul, in their history, in their past. I just need to be filled, I just need to fill this thing up that I'm still searching for. But guess what, when you find Jesus, he fills it, period. He meets every need, he satisfies you to every degree. And so we have this opportunity to come along, people, and share with them the blessings of salvation, I love the story of uh, the story of a banquet. Jesus tells this story in Luke 14. I think we have it. I want to read this, and I want to explain some of it to us. It just shows the heart of God to seek and find those who need Him. Luke 14. Verse 16, but he said to them, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. That's not a dumb excuse. So crazy. Please have me excused. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. Can I just stop there and say, God gets angry with our excuses. He gets angry with our excuses and we have so many of them. The master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, blind and lame. And the servant said, sir what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled for I tell you none of those men were invited Uh, that were invited shall taste my banquet. Do you get a sense of of the heart of God? Now, Now some preachers would stand here and say, God wants his house to be full and make it about a service. Friends, if this verse is just about a service, we've missed the whole thing. This is not about people who don't know Jesus just sitting through a service. It's about people knowing Christ and being able to celebrate in a banquet. What am I saying? It's not enough just to bring somebody along. Here, sit there. Everything that guy says, pay attention. You'll get what you need. No. God has sent you and me. And we need to go to these places. We need to have a passion, a compassion, a burden to go wherever, wherever we can, uh, it says, go out and compel them. With all you can, urge them. Convince them, uh, bring them. Elvis told me the other day in the Spanish Bible that that word right there means force them. <laughs> I don't know that, that that's the heart of the, of the piece. We don't wanna force people, but we wanna do everything short of it, right? We wanna do everything we can to help people see what they're missing in Jesus. And the problem is is we make so many excuses. Let Let me clarify. The problem is I make so many excuses. Friends, in 31 years of ministry, I've never seen so many excuses in the church. I've never seen so many people struggling with excuses to serve the Lord, to follow him I think it's time that we stop giving excuses and start being on mission with Jesus. I'm not talking about some religious program. I go to be a part of a program. No, I'm talking about a passion in our hearts and souls to see people redeemed from hell. That's what I'm talking about. And not only redeemed from hell, but have a life. Jesus said, I've come to bring you life, and I bring it abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come to bring life. Do we want to see people have life? Do we have a passion for that? Do we have a desire in our hearts? In the the back today, when you walk out, you'll see there's a board back there. It says, from death to life. And there's some Post-it notes and tape and a pen. If there's somebody on your heart who doesn't know Jesus, would you write their name? You can write their first name or you can write their whole name, whatever. If there's somebody on your heart that needs Christ, would you write their name on there and put it on the board so that we can begin to pray with you that we can be intentional about the conversations that we're having for them. My prayer is that God would give our church, every one of us, a heart for people who don't know Christ. Look what Paul said in Romans 10:1. He said, brothers, my heart's desire, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Watch this, it's my heart's Desire and prayer that they may be saved. Is that your heart's desire? In in the last seven days, have you thought about one lost person? In the last seven days, have you prayed for one lost person? God, change that our heart's desire and prayer would be that people come to know Jesus. Because you know what, until your heart's desire is that somebody comes to know Jesus, you won't go to them, you won't pray for them. And guess what, they won't be saved. God wants to use you to take this message to those people in your life. Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice. We can do those things. Jesus came to seek and to save. Yes, we can go to places and we can find people who need Jesus. We can't save them, but we can pray for their salvation. We can do everything we can to move them towards salvation. We can do everything we can to help them ask questions, consider the idea of a life in Christ. Third thing I want you to see and final thing here is this. Jesus came to proclaim and to preach. I'm going to give you the context of this verse. Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth in the synagogue. He goes into the synagogue and somebody hands him the scroll of Isaiah, which is a typical thing for a Jewish service. Jesus unrolls the the scroll of Isaiah and he finds this passage. And try to wrap your brain around this. This is a passage of prophecy about the Messiah and now the Messiah is going to read this passage of prophecy about himself, right? That's context. Luke four eighteen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus then rolls up the scroll, hands it back, sits down, and he says something to the whole crowd. He says, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your presence. Can you imagine? Jesus is, in in essence, saying, that's me. I'm the one. I'm the one who's been anointed. I'm the one to do these things. I'm the one to proclaim. And listen, this is what I love about this, this word, proclaim and preach. They come from the same word in the Greek, kerygma. It means to make it clear the gospel of Jesus, Jesus is proclaiming. He says it three times in this passage. I wanna make it clear who I am. And he begins to list benefits of knowing Christ. What are some benefits for you that we'd say, I know Jesus, and because I know Jesus, dot, 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 right? Look what Jesus says. He says, the poor need to know that they'll be provided for. Jesus meets our needs. Though we are naked, blind, poor, wretched, as the Bible says, he meets every single need we have. The poor need to know that they matter, that they're seen, that they're not overlooked. The captive needs to know that there's real freedom in Jesus, freedom from addiction, freedom from anything that holds you uh, captive, anything. Jesus gives real freedom. These are the benefits, these are the blessings of salvation. The blind get sight back. They get a bigger picture for what life is. The oppressed, they get justice. They get healing. And guess what? You know, sometimes we look at these categories, the poor, uh, the the oppressed, and we go, that's not me, that's not me. It's all us. We're all of these things. And Jesus meets every single need. See, when he's listing these, he's listing, this is the things that come with salvation. These are the things that Messiah brings. And I love even the way we, met, we read it just a minute ago, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Salvation is not just fire insurance, you gotta understand, salvation is the blessing of all these things that God brings to our life. He gives us abundant life. Not only that, he's equipped us as believers to proclaim this truth. Listen to this, First Peter 2, 9, such a beautiful passage, it says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you, you, church, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is what we do as the church. We proclaim to the world the excellencies of salvation, that God has taken us from darkness and brought us into his marvelous, unbelievable light. And when we share that with people, it's not just going, hey, I need to tell you about Jesus so that you don't go to hell. Yes, that's important. But it's also important to go, no, you've never had a life like this. You've never had fulfillment like this. Jesus is the only one who satisfies all of our lives when he saves us, when he changes us. When we follow Jesus, the blessings of following and knowing him, salvation, grace, forgiveness, abundant life, joy, purpose. Purpose of every breath, of every day. Many of us go to work and we come home and we do our routine. Sometimes you sit there and go, what's it all for? Can I just tell you, if you're in that rat race and you don't understand your purpose, it's because you haven't found it yet. But there's breath in your lungs because there's purpose for your life. Find out what your purpose is. He gives us peace that nothing else gives and he gives us the privilege of being on mission with God himself. Here's the last thing I wanna say. Jesus came not only to proclaim but he came to preach. We can proclaim to those we know to those we reach out to, to those we seek out, to those we serve, to those we sacrifice for the blessings of God. We can proclaim these things, but we also preach. We also tell them who Jesus is. Jesus said in in, uh, Luke 4, it it was a day. He departed, and he went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. I gotta go. For I was sent for this purpose and he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Jesus gives us the example of preaching the good news and not just staying in one place but taking it everywhere we can. We have to go. We have to be willing to go. Some of you say, hey, I'm not a preacher. I didn't sign up for that. Let's see what Paul says about that. Romans 10, verse 13 he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, is that you? Are you in that group of people, everyone who's called on the name of the Lord will be saved? If you are, continue to listen to what he says, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? They, that's you. If you've called on the name of the Lord, then God has a plan and a purpose for your life to see other people come to know Jesus as a result of your willingness to go. As a result of your willingness to serve people. We, we have opportunities to do that in the food pantry. Just today we had a homeless man sitting on our, on our walkway and several of us went to him and said, hey, we hope you'll come to worship with us. We would love it if you'd come inside. <laughs> His shirt's unbuttoned. It would have been interesting looking at him shirtless man through the message. But we said, come on in, be with us. We have to be willing to serve people, not turn them away. Love them right where they are in the mess that they are. And if you don't know Jesus today, your mess may look different than his, but you're still in a mess. We have to be willing to serve and sacrifice. We have to be willing to seek, find them, and move them towards salvation, pray for their salvation, we have to be willing, so willing, to proclaim all the goodness of God's salvation in our own lives, how he ta- he's taken us from darkness to life, and let me tell you about all the benefits, all the excellencies of him who's done that in my life, and we have to be willing to preach Jesus, and no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. May we be willing to go, friends. This is our prayer, this is who God is calling us as a church to be, what does it look like? Just right now, in this moment, I want you you to ask yourself this question, what does it look like for me to serve people who need Jesus, what does that look like for you? Some of you immediately, there's something already in your mind, a way you can serve. What does it look like to sacrifice, maybe your commitment to people, to lost, to those in need, to those around you, maybe you need to kick that up a little bit. Maybe you need to go and seek, And pray for salvation. Maybe you need to just open your mouth and conversations over coffee or lunch and go, man, can I tell you, I'm just so overwhelmed that God loves me. Let me tell you what he's doing in my life. And by the way, do you know him? Friends, every broken thing in this world has an answer and his name is Jesus. Think about that. And there's a lot of broken stuff right now. And every single thing finds its healing hope in Jesus alone. You have the answer if you know him. Let's follow the leader. Let's do what he did and become the disciples he wants us to be. Next week we're going to talk about what is a disciple? What does that look like? I hope you'll be here. I hope you'll journey with us. In becoming the church that makes disciples and multiplies this gospel for His glory. Pray with me. Father, we love you. God, thank you for an opportunity to be with you and your people today. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your grace every single day. God, when I think about proclaiming the excellencies in my life of your salvation. I I could go on and on and on. Because you've been so good, God, it keeps me coming back every single morning where I trust that your mercy is new. And even though I've failed you and I am a sinner and I I don't measure up, Lord Jesus, you meet every need of my life. you have fulfilled the law and your work is complete on the cross and I trust my salvation because of that work Lord it's enough it's finished, it's done my hope is not in what I bring and who I am, my hope is in who you are and what you've done I have no other hope Lord Jesus there's so many people around us Next-door neighbors, coworkers, family members, they are lost and they are dying and they are going to hell. Jesus, your church is not a church if we don't make an effort to go to those people and help them to know you. This is the church of Jesus on mission, seeking you praying that you would protect us, praying that you would draw people to salvation, praying that you would give us opportunities, Lord, praying that you would do whatever it takes for this message of hope to go to those in need. God, I believe you're doing so many things in our world right now that that are causing every one of us to seriously look at what we believe, What, what are we truly made of, And God, I know if I look at my life, there's nothing there but you. I have no hope apart from you. Lord, would you give us the privilege of being on mission with you. Lord, this week, would you give us courage, not only opportunities, but courage to go further, to talk further, to have conversations, to see people with questions Lord, we may not have all the answers, but we can pray with them. We can share our story. Would you give us a heart and a compassion, a heart's desire and a prayer for people to know you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Make us the disciples you want us to be. Help us to be a people not seeking cheap grace, not wanting to be a part of something without sacrifice, but Lord saying, no, I'm gonna give my life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will follow you. We will, we will die for you if that be what you call us to. God, give us that strength. We love you. We bless you. If anybody's in this place today that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would come and they would seek to find you, seek to know you. Lord, if anybody's struggling in their relationship with you, if anybody's struggling with a, a question or a fear, weariness, Lord, may they, may they find hope in you. You're the only one who satisfies, and so we rest in you. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?